So John Baker is uh, an author and the guy who started a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. We'll talk about it in a minute. And John Baker tells a story about a father who's at home on a Sunday afternoon with his son. They've gone to church, they've played, they've watched football together. Now the father's trying to get a nap, um, but his son will not leave him alone. Daddy, I'm bored. Daddy, I'm bored. Daddy, I'm bored. So in an attempt to get like 15 minutes to, to lay his head down, uh, the father takes a newspaper and he finds a map of the world in it. He cuts it into 50 different pieces and he tells his son, hey, this is like a puzzle. See if you can put the map back together. Uh, knowing that his son, who's too young to know where most countries in the world are, will hopefully struggle and he can take like his power nap before he has to get back at it. Three or four minutes later, um, his son is tapping on his shoulder, Daddy, Daddy, I'm done. Incredulous, the father drags himself off the sofa and he wanders over to the living room floor and he sees the map of the world perfectly assembled. And in astonishment, he says to his little boy, how did you do it? Little boy said, uh, it was easy. On the back of the map was a picture of a person. And when I put my person together, the world looked just fine. And Baker asks, um, how does your person look today? Because um, if your person is put together, your world may look just fine. Right? Um, but if your person is falling apart, right? Um, if you feel like you are broken and in a million pieces on the floor, then the world feels that way too. I want to spend the next six weeks thinking about what it means uh, to put your person together, to be whole. And, and we're going to talk about moving forward from brokenness to wholeness. And, and, and how does Christ carry us through on that journey? And for that journey, for these next six weeks, we're going to have two things that are going to help us along the way. Uh, the first is the Beatitudes. And, and the Beatitudes are um, probably the second most famous part of the most famous sermon ever preached. The most famous part is the Lord's Prayer, right? Uh, and, and, and they begin this beautiful Sermon on the Mount um, with a perspective of how Jesus sees the kingdom of God. Um, and it's an upside-down version of how the world is. Uh, Richard Hayes, one of my former professors, says, "...the Beatitudes define reality in such a way that the usual order of things is seen to be upside-down in the eyes of God." And, and that's pretty clear, right, as we hear the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted, we think, no, they're not. <laughs> that's not how I understand. That doesn't sound right to me. Um, by the way, as we talk about what it means to be blessed or blessed, um, I think it's helpful to have a definition other than happy in our minds. And I know that some translations say happy here. I, I don't really think that's what this means. So, uh, to my mind, to be blessed by God is to be in favor with God, right? to be in favor with God. That's not synonymous with my life going the way I want it to go, right? A really simple illustration for that purpose. So I have three children who are um, regularly arguing about what they want to do at home, and I want to play this game, I want to play that game, let's go on a walk, let's play inside, whatever. Every now and then, one of my beautiful children says something like, you know what, let's just do the thing you want to do. And I know in that moment for that child, um, there's a loss, right? They really wanted to do their thing and they're giving up on it. But they are in my favor like you wouldn't believe, right? I don't love them any more than I loved them before. But at that moment, I say, oh, that is right. 
That's how things are supposed to be. You're doing something good. So when the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, it doesn't mean they are happy. It means they are in God's favor. Okay? So uh, the Beatitudes are going to be one of our helps on this journey from brokenness to wholeness. The other help is going to be this Christian ministry called Celebrate Recovery. And um, Celebrate Recovery is a Christian version of the 12-step movement. 12-step movement is wonderful, by the way. I'm a huge advocate of it. Um, And uh, it's very compatible with Christianity, but it's not overtly Christian. And so Saddleback Church in California a number of years ago had a a, a movement where they wanted to have an overtly Christian version of the 12-step movement. And so they took the Beatitudes and they used them to create eight principles um, that more or less coincide with the 12 steps and uh, used those to talk about how we move um, to the the life God wants us to live. So we're going to talk a little bit about those principles as we work through the Sermon on the Mount and think about moving forward from brokenness to wholeness. Okay, so today um, we're going to begin with the very first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And I want to ask, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? I I think we know it means to be poor, right, to have a lack of material resources. So I assume to be poor in spirit means to have a lack of spiritual and emotional resources, to feel like um, you are bankrupt, in that regard. And it's interesting to me that Jesus says people that feel like spiritually and emotionally they are bankrupt are in His favor. They're in His favor. So, uh, you know this, when the Bible talks about the folks that are in favor with Jesus, um, they always look kind of similar. So, for example, in Matthew 21, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders um, who are not in His favor, and He says, John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. The the people that uh, seem to make it into the kingdom of heaven, the people that are in God's favor in the New Testament, seem to be the people like the tax collectors and the prostitutes, right? The, the people that are formerly demon-possessed and the people that are drunks and the people that are um, religious heretics like Samaritans and the people that are lepers and all the people on the outside seem to be in Jesus' ministry in His favor. And the folks that are not are the religious leaders, right? The wealthy and the powerful and those who are spiritually confident, which begs an uncomfortable question about which category you are in, Right? Do you more identify with the tax collectors and the hookers or with the religious people? Um, Jesus comes and He says in in Mark chapter 2, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is, I think, His central point, that, that I have come to help people that are broken to become whole. I have come to help people that are sinners to become righteous. I have come to help people who are sick to be healthy. Um, But until you recognize your need for me, I can't do anything for you. And and, um, perhaps being poor in spirit means recognizing our need for God, that I can't make it on my own. 
Now, there's a problem with this. The problem with this is none of us like to admit we can't make it on our own, right? Uh, and, and none of us like to admit our failings or our flaws or our insecurities, um, our habits, our hurts, our hang-ups. And so, um, we, we hide that stuff really well. And we do a great job trying to hide um, from ourselves and from God the truth of who we are um, and, and how broken we are. So, I've been thinking about a, a few of the lies we tell ourselves to hide our brokenness, to hide our sin, uh, to hide the fact that we need a doctor. Um, one of those is um, the lie that I'm doing enough. Right? I'm doing enough. And, and I don't know about you, but this is one that I um, can live into really easy, right? I just got to stay busy. If I stay busy enough, if I do enough um, for God or for other people, then surely everything's going to be fine and my life will look okay. Right? If I work hard enough at my job or uh, if I work hard enough as, my, as a volunteer in my church or if I just do enough stuff, right? if I exercise enough and, and maybe then I'll, I'll be sufficient, right? if I just got to do enough. Um, this is unfortunately a lie that we tell ourselves uh, and it can get pretty dark. Right? It, it seems like one of those lies that's not so bad. Right? Oh, he's just really a hard worker, uh, but it can get pretty dark. I was reading a, a book last week that talked about um, a, a counselor who was working with pastors, I think it was in Korea, I can't remember, in some, another country, and uh, talked about a, a pastor that was totally overwhelmed with her profession and her work and exhausted, hadn't had a day off in months. Um, and um, when they were having this conversation about, you know, a healthy lifestyle and um, not being consumed by busyness, she said, no, you don't understand. Um, I, I know I sound like I'm in a bad place, but most of the pastors I know are, are way more dedicated than me. And then she told a story. She said, uh, I know a pastor who lives, um, who, who ministers nearby me. Um, he, he started a new church plant, and it's taken off, and it's growing like crazy, and huge numbers of people are involved, and he's incredibly available to them. Uh, and in fact, the church plant is about... Um, 20 minutes from, uh, I think it was, sorry, uh, two hours from his home, and he's so busy, he rarely makes it home. In fact, um, for the last three years, he's only been home to, in person to see his wife and his child once a year, like one day a year. And, he, and she said, in, in fact, um, he told me a story that um, just a few months ago, he was home for that one day a year visit. And as he was leaving to get back on the train to go back to where he was ministering, his little boy ran up and said, Daddy, Daddy, um, please stay longer. And this pastor looked at his son and said, Get behind me, Satan. And then turned around and got on the train and went back to work. The idea that I can do enough, right, be busy enough, is a really dangerous lie. Um, and it makes me become a person I don't want to be. And um, busyness in our lives isn't just running from thing to thing. It's running from things and from people and from Christ. Uh, so one of the ways that I hide my sin is I just stay busy. Uh, another way to uh, lie to myself about um, whether I really need a doctor, whether I really need a Savior, uh, is I'd say, well, I'm good enough, right? I mean, I, we've all said this at some point, right? I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm decent, and I know there's people out there that really need Jesus, so let's let them have Him now, and I'll get around to it later when I have time, but I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm doing pretty well right now. 
Jesus has a story about me uh, when I think that way. In Luke chapter 18, he says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, thank you, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. See, the lie that I'm good enough um, is what I say to avoid recognizing who I really am, right? To avoid recognizing that, yes, I can compare myself to someone else and come off pretty good, um, but compared to Christ, I'm far from the plan that God has for me. Uh, one of the, just one of the lies that we tell ourselves to deny the reality um, that, that we are broken. Um, and this is the lie that I'm strong enough. Sometimes, um, like with the busyness or the goodness, we sort of deny, uh, even to ourselves, the knowledge that we are broken, right? That we have sinned. But sometimes we know we're imperfect, right? We know we have sinned. We just think, I'm strong enough. I can handle this, right? I can, I can keep my life together. Uh, I know that, um, boy, some of these things are, are probably not what Christ wants for me, but um, I, I just got to try a little bit harder, and this time it's going to be different. Um, uh, and, and John Baker's wonderful book, Life's Healing Choices, which is a, a book about Celebrate Recovery, um, he tells a story of a guy named Drew. Um, and in the story, Drew is a, a gentleman who um, had a, a difficult early childhood and ended up becoming um, addicted to a variety of narcotics, drugs. And um, he says that at some point in his addiction, he started mixing drugs together to try to get the, the biggest high he could possibly get. Uh, and this lands him one day in a psychiatric hospital. He's admitted as an unconscious patient. He says, I remember waking up in a dimly lit room. I couldn't move and felt drool running down the corner of my mouth. I think this was the first time I began to realize I was powerless. As I opened my eyes and struggled to focus, I could make out the outline of someone standing over me inquiring, why are you here? I tried to respond but could only make gurgling sounds. Oh, they must have hit you up with Thorazine or Loxetane, the person said. You won't be able to move for a couple of days, but eventually it'll wear off. My name's Tom, he continued. I'm a patient here too. It occurred to me in that moment that the person speaking was not a doctor, but another patient whose level of sanity was completely unknown to me. I had no ability to respond, defend myself, or even cry out for help should the person behind the strange voice mean me harm. I finally realized, Drew, your life is unmanageable. That moment was sobering, but my struggle to stay in control of my life was far from over. Waking up I'm sorry, following my wake-up call in the psychiatric hospital, I experienced about a year of sobriety from drugs. Then I started telling myself all the lies that addicts do. I can do it once in a while, and I won't get hooked again. I'll just keep it limited to pot, and so on, and so on. It's unbelievable how effectively we can lie to ourselves and tell ourselves we're strong enough, right? I'm just going to try harder this time. I'm just going to do different this time. And, and yet the reality is uh, that we're not strong enough, we're not good enough, we're not doing enough. 
Uh, and that all of this lying to ourselves, all, which is frankly exhausting, takes energy away from uh, what we might be doing to, to try to get our lives back together again. Uh, uh, and, and it gets to the core of the problem. See, the core of the problem isn't um, just that I have some bad behaviors, right? The core of the problem is me. Right? I'm, I'm the problem. The Bible talks about this in terms of our flesh or our sin nature, right? And it's the idea that deep inside every one of us is this fundamental um, selfishness that manifests in incredibly destructive ways all the time. Uh, and, and the way that my destructiveness manifests is different than the way your destructiveness manifests because my life and experiences are different than yours. Um, but that core is the same. St. Augustine talks about an inward curving, right, that almost literally navel-gazing, right, that we curve in upon ourselves. Uh, and this idea of, of our sin nature or our flesh um, is, is a recognition that um, it's not my busyness or my failure to love my kids or my um, pride in the spiritual nature of things or my addiction, those aren't the problem, right? The problem is this, this sin nature that lives within me. And, and by the way, this problem doesn't just go away when we become a Christian, right? It would be great if it did, but it doesn't. Uh, so Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that um, the good I want to do, I don't do, and the bad things I don't want to do, that's what I keep finding myself doing. Um, that this process of, of um, recognizing our sin and seeking help is a lifelong one, not just one that happens the first time we come to know Christ. And, and so, um, we come to the first principle of Celebrate Recovery, and I think the core message of Blessed are the Poor in Spirit. Um, will you put that principle up, Drew? Uh, their first principle, realize I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Just leave that up for a minute. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. If you're familiar with um, most of the 12-step movements, and this is very similar to step one, right? We admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors that our lives had become unmanageable. And, and here's what I want to suggest. Um, this doesn't sound like good news, <laughs> but it really is, right? Uh, because until we recognize our problem, we can't get to the solution, uh, and, and until we get the diagnosis, we can't cure the disease. And, and so recognizing that our problem is um, not this one little behavior I need to fix, right? Not um, that if I just try a little bit harder, I'll be better. Not a, 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 an insufficient amount of willpower or strength. Um, it's that I can't do it on my own. I can't fix my life. It's not in the capacity of Jim Gates to make Jim Gates' life right. And when I see that, when I see that my sin is deep inside me as a rejection of God, and not His rejection of me, by the way, um, then I start to understand the good news that Jesus saves sinners, and only sinners. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, Thanks, Drew. You can take that down. Um, I, I came across a, a story uh, about this recognition that was really helpful for me um, recently. And, and this is a, a, a gentleman who's writing out of the 12-step movement. 
uh, talking about his particular hurt or habit or hang-up, which was alcohol addiction. Uh, and he says that he got to this step one, uh, this recognition that he was powerless, uh, and he really didn't like that language. Um, so he says, um, step one asked me to admit that I was powerless, and that was initially not hard for me. I had already lost my marriage, my business, my house, and the care of my children because of my alcoholism. But he said, um, however, as soon as I started working on step one, I began seeking excuses for not fully working it. I questioned whether I was truly powerless. I knew I still had the power to drive a car, write a check, or play a musical instrument. And I, I think this is a place where we get hung up, right? Where we as, as believers say, I'm not powerless. All kinds of things are in my power. And th the point of this first principle is not um, that you can do nothing. It's that uh, you can't save yourself. You are powerless to fix yourself without Christ. Uh, so this um, particular author, um, uh, recovering addict, goes on to say, uh, finally I realized through the help of my sponsor uh, that when I take step one, I'm admitting I lack the power to act. Not that I can't do anything. Step one was never about writing checks, driving a car, or playing music. It was about staying sober, staying married, supporting my family, being a good parent, or keeping my business. All things I wanted to do but could not. He goes on to say that as he wrestled with this idea of what it means to be powerless over sin, um, he, he came up with an illustration, uh, and actually kind of helpful for me. Um, he said, uh, he started sketching, and eventually he sketched an enormous and powerful crane straining to lift itself. And I've actually got that picture. Will you put that up for a minute? Um, I, I love this image. It's so helpful for me, right? Uh, that crane can lift a lot of stuff. Right? I mean, that crane is a powerful machine, but no matter how hard it lifts, it's never going to lift itself off the ground. Uh, and, and, and this is the reality for us, right, that um, we, uh, like that machine, are really powerful, but we need a higher power to lift ourselves up. doesn't mean um, that I'm unable to do anything. It means that this most important thing uh, I cannot do on my own. If I needed willpower, God would have sent me self-help books and willpower pills. Right? That's not what I need. I need a Savior. So God sent Jesus. You can take that off. Thanks, Drew. Um, one of my favorite um, figures is a guy named John of Kronstadt. Um, John of Kronstadt was a Russian Orthodox priest in the 1800s. Uh, and in his particular era, um, well, not unlike many other eras, alcoholism was our rampant problem in, in his community. And the, the normal procedure of the priests of his day was that um, they would stay in their chapels and their cathedrals, these beautiful, um, massive buildings, and welcome people in when they chose to come in. Um, but, but John was different and, and compelled by the love of Christ. Um, John kept leaving uh, the warmth of his cathedral and, and seeking out people um, literally in the streets. And, and there are all these incredible stories of John um, finding hungover, foul-smelling people in the gutter, cradling them in his arms and saying to them, this is beneath your dignity. You were meant to house the fullness of God. I love that language. Uh, 
And I think this is exactly what Jesus does for us, right? Jesus comes to us and He says, um, whatever you're doing, right, however you have wandered from me, whether you're trying to be good enough by doing enough stuff, or whether you're, you're convinced that you don't need me because you're so blind to your own brokenness, or whether you're aware of what's wrong in your life, but you think you can fix it yourself, um, I want you to recognize uh, that you were meant for more than this. This is beneath your dignity. You were meant to house the fullness of God. And when Jesus leaves, not the warmth of His cathedral, but the light of heaven itself uh, to come into the gutter for us, what He's looking for is not uh, amazing spiritual character and deep discipleship and brilliant, perfect Christians who speak Greek fluently and know the Bible backwards and forwards. He just wants us uh, to stop responding with lies and denial and control and blame and shame and instead say, yeah, I need you. I need you, Jesus. I am powerless without you. And I think in that moment, when we say that, Jesus says, that's all I've been waiting to hear. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I don't know where you are today in your life. I don't know um, whether you feel like um, you're on the right track with Christ or you're, you're going down a tangent, um, whether you've never made a commitment to Him or whether you've been following Him. But like me, you find yourself regularly doing the things you don't want to do and not doing the things you do want to do. Um, but, but I believe that every one of us on a regular basis needs to come back and say, Jesus, I cannot do this without you. I am powerless over my own sin. I need a Savior. So I'm going to invite you uh, just to bow your heads with me for a minute. And um, let's say a prayer and invite Christ to lift us up. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we recognize today uh, that um, we are so good at fooling ourselves. And we can be even decent at fooling other people. Maybe not as good as we think we are, but we can't ever fool you. Jesus, we know that all the lies that we tell uh, that uh, blind us to the reality of our brokenness are laid bare before you. And we know, Lord Jesus, that you never expected or needed us to be perfect. That you seek us out in our brokenness and you lift us up and you hold us in your arms and you say you were meant to house all the fullness of God. And all you want from us, Jesus, is to recognize our desperate need for you. So Jesus, today we confess, Jesus, today I confess that I am powerless without you. I can't keep my life together or put my life together on my own strength. I confess, Jesus, that there have been so many times that I have tried to do that, so many times that I have bought into those lies. But today, again, uh, Jesus, I come and we come to say, um, we need you. Jesus, we can't make it without you. Give us poverty of spirit today. And let us know not only the depth of our need, but the height and the depth and the length and the width of your love, which surpasses knowledge. All this we pray in your mighty and powerful name. And all God's people said, Amen.